0: You're listening to online media from Glendale Christian Church. For more information, visit us at GlendaleCC.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at GlendaleCCKY. Hey, I hope that you have had a great weekend, that you're, uh, uh, and this is a great we- way to start your week. Um, I really wanted to say for a moment, I really appreciate our worship team this morning. Man, they did a great job leading us in worship. Amen. Hey, it is time for Kids Church, and so if you are fifth grade and under, you are free to go. I know Miss Avery and Addie and Hannah are ready for you, and y'all are going to have a great time, but I did tell them, you know, this is just kind of the daddy because my son is also down there helping, and so I told Hannah, I said, hey, if they get out of line, just, you know, (laughs) mainly to mine, oldest, because he needs it more than any of the rest of them, but... Hey, I, before we jump into the message this morning, I want to tell you uh, real quickly about a couple things. Uh, number one is this, is that October, as many of you know, is, is Pastor Appreciation Month or Minister Appreciation Month. And so the Lady Circle, I, we really appreciate this as a staff, the Lady Circle every Monday morning are providing breakfast for the staff to um, to just say thanks for to the staff. And so we really appreciate that. It makes staff meeting a whole lot better uh, instead of listening to me talk for 20, 30 minutes, we get to eat breakfast. And so that's, that's a good thing. Um, but the second Sunday of the month, which is this Sunday, is typically the Sunday that it, it's acknowledged. And so I want to take just a moment to recognize our ministry staff because they do a fantastic job. And so um, I know Mike's in here. Bobby just got up and left, and Tim just walked out, and, and Chelsea's moderating our online. And so <laughs> we don't have time for you to walk out, Mike. <laughs> But, hey, would you all just let our staff know what a great, how much you all appreciate them. Um, They are the backbone of this church, um, and we, I'll tell you, as the senior minister, I am very grateful for them and and proud to work alongside of them. And so I really appreciate them, and I hope that you all know that. Um, Second thing I want to let you know about is what's coming up next week. Next Sunday, we start a brand new series of messages that we're calling Ready, and, and I'll just give you a little preview of what this series is about. Um, and we're getting ready to enter into the holiday season and Thanksgiving and Christmas, and so there's always family get-togethers, right? And every family has that one person. If you don't have it in your family, you're, you're lucky. But everybody in, that fa- in a family has that one person who is just always anti-everything, right? They're, they're always anti-everything, and so they're anti-religion. They're anti-sports, they're anti-politics, whatever, whatever you believe in, they disagree with. And they've always got some little sharp little jab, right? They've always got that one comment, and it just kind of throws you off balance, and you're not really sure what to say to them. And so for three weeks, we're going to talk about how we answer those kind of people, how, how we... How we talk to people about the hope that we have in Jesus when there's, when there's very little time because they're not interested in a, in a conversation. They're, they want a sound bit, right? So how do you talk to people about Jesus when there's very little time and even less interest? And so for three weeks, we're, we're calling it Ready because we've got to be ready. We want to be ready to be able to talk to people about Jesus. And so, so that's coming up. We're starting that next week. I hope that you'll be here for it. Uh, if you're not going to be here, I hope that you'll plan to, to tune in and, and watch, watch us live on, on Facebook because I think it could be a, a powerful, powerful series that helps prepare us as, as we go into times where we're going to be with, with family members and, and we're just going to be with people who are going to be anti-whatever it is that you believe. This morning, though, we're wrapping up our series on the, on the book of Daniel. We've been talking about the, the first couple of chapters of the book of Daniel. And so today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip over to Daniel chapter 5. The uh, verses will be on screen momentarily. But go ahead and grab a, a Bible and, and flip over there. A couple of years ago, actually more like 20 years ago, uh, a, a very popular rabbi, uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner, he, he made religious public his, uh, publishing history with a phenomenally successful book that he wrote and published. And maybe you've even read it. It was called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Anybody read When Bad Things Happen to Good People? I, I read it, and I'll tell you right off the bat, I hated it. I hated it. I hated the book because there were me, like many other people, thought that, that the Rabbi Kushner, he sidestepped really the toughest moral question that, that there was and, and was the premise of his book. Why on earth do bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever wondered that question? Why do bad things happen to good people? One of the reasons that we love Bible stories, and, and especially this one that we're going to look at today from the book of Daniel, is that oftentimes in Bible stories, people get what they deserve. And there's something about that that we, that we really like. The, in, in, in Bible stories, there's, there's the rare occurrence, but, but virtually everybody ultimately gets what they deserve in the, in the Bible. In, in real life, though, creeps, they're often visible, but they, they rarely get uh, what they deserve. They're rarely very, you know, swiftly punished. Creeps get elected to public office. Creeps become presidents of large corporations. Creeps become pastors of large churches. They become officers in fraternities. But in the Bible, creeps get incinerated in fiery furnaces. They get eaten by lions. They get drowned in floods. They get their heads lopped off or worse. And be honest, there's a part of you that kind of likes that, right? Everybody longs for a world in in which there is justice. Even if the workings of justice are sometimes gruesome. Maybe especially if the workings of justice are sometimes gruesome. Because justice seems so rare in life, right? Nobody seems to ever get what they deserve in, in, in real life. But, but in the Bible, it seems like they always get that. You know, the Bible loves to take some sleazy person, let him strut out on the stage for an hour and have his moment of glory. But then, you know, zap, there, there's a fire, there's a flood, there's a lion, and, and he's history. And it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of gratifying to see the bad guy get what he deserves. This morning, as we, as we wrap up our series on the book of Daniel, we're going to look at chapter 5. And, and this is really a great chapter on biblical justice. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn over there with me. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read a couple of verses, and then I'll talk for a little more, and we'll read a few more verses, and I'll talk for a few more minutes, and then we'll go home, all right? Amen. Yeah, that's right. Daniel chapter 5 verse 1 it says many years later King Belshazzar now this is a new king remember we left off where it was King Nebuchadnezzar he'd lost his mind and then he confessed God as Lord of all and he got his mind back well he's out of the picture now he's, he's passed on and so there's a new king in power it's Belshazzar it says Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and he drank wine with them and while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. And so this should be clue number one that he's, he's not a real smart guy. He's got wives. It's an S there. Um, that's never, that never works out well for anybody. All right? So it says he wanted to drink with his nobles, his wives, his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines, they drank from them. And while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. And the king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. And his knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. Now, as we're reading this, I, I just want you to think about this. Who could be worse than King Belshazzar? I mean, we in your mind, you probably have somebody in your mind that you, you think about that, that fits this kind of role. It's a powerful person, and he's arrogant. He's smug. That is everything that the world has to offer, he has, and, and, he, and he knows it. And, and so we, we think about this guy, and, and this... He's the epitome of a jerk. Like this is what we think about. This is is a real jerk. And so he throws a great party and he invites a thousand of his friends and his cronies to to come and celebrate with him. And what they're celebrating, we don't know. But under the influence of wine, Belshazzar gets a great idea. And I'll just throw this out there. This is free. There's very rarely ever a good idea that comes under the influence of any kind of alcohol. All right. So if, you, if you're under the influence of alcohol and you get a, what you think is a great idea, it's probably not. All right, So that, that's free. You can take that for what it's worth. But under the influence of, of some wine, Belshazzar gets a great idea and he says, Hey, bring me the, the, those from the temple, those vessels that we, we stole from the Jewish temple in Jerusalem when, when we ransacked it. Bring those in here. And let's fill them up with wine and let's drink from them. Let's pass them around. And, and what we're going to do while we're passing them around, we're, we're basically, we're just going to mock the Jews. We're going to mock their, their impotence, how, how we have them here captured in, in exile, how their God didn't rescue them, how their God didn't save them. You know, they really have a stupid God. How could they have believed in something like that if they had a real powerful God he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. That's Belshazzar's mindset. He's, he thinks he's going to show how great he is by bringing in these, these temple vessels that they've stolen. And immediately, you don't have to wait for very long for these things in the, in the Bible. It says immediately, suddenly, a great detached grizzly hand begins writing on the wall. Now, now this, we read this and, and I don't know that we fully grasp the picture of what's happened because this is not a hand that's attached to a body this is just a hand that's kind of floating in the air and it begins writing on the wall think about what your reaction would be if you saw that and it writes these walls on the uh, uh, writes these words on the banquet hall it says mini mini tekel parson and when the king sees this he sees this hand beginning to write these words his attitude changes He grows pale at seeing the large letters written on the wall. Everyone in in the hall there can hear his knees knocking together. It it reminds me of, how many of you watched Scooby-Doo growing up maybe? Or maybe your kids watched it? It reminds me when when Scooby and Shaggy always get left behind and they're they're by themselves and Shaggy and Scooby, their knees begin to knock. This is kind of the picture that I'm thinking of. It Shaggy's standing there in, in, in fear. And so the king calls all of his cronies, his, his enchanters, his diviners, his dream interpreters. He calls them all together to, to say, hey, I want you to figure out what these words mean. And, and these guys, these, they're not worth the money that he's paying them. These guys are yes men. They are, king, whatever you want, whatever you say, what, whatever you're thinking it is, that's what it is, okay? They're, they're, they're just yes men. And so they're not any good and they can't figure out what the writing on the wall is. And so the queen... The queen, kind of a Lady Macbeth type figure, she, she says to the king, hey, you got to stand up and act like a man. You're the king, right? Get it together. And, and that's always women, right? They're always kind of crack the whip on us men, right? And so she says, you got to get it together. Stiffen your resolve a little bit. Remember that, that one little Jewish boy that, that we had, that Nebuchadnezzar had, Daniel? He, he's good at this. Call him in. Now, if you've paid attention over the last couple of weeks, you should have seen this part coming, right? That Daniel's gonna gonna figure into this because Daniel has proven that he's good at reading dreams. He's good at interpreting these things. He he's good at figuring out all the weird things that that, that happen. And so Daniel's brought into the great banquet hall, this this little exiled Jewish Daniel. And so the king says to him, Hey, so you, so you're the smart kid that I've heard about. and he's he's Probably a fairly old man at this point. But says, hey, you're, you're the guy that I've heard about. You're the one that, that's able to, to interpret dreams. You're the one that's going to be able to, to figure out what these words, what this writing on the wall means. You, you can do that, right? And, and I think Daniel kind of nods and says, yeah, I can. And the king says, well, if you can do it, then I'm going to give you all kinds of gold, and I'll give you a cushy government position, and, and I'll give you all of these things if you, if you can tell me what this means. And So Daniel, the little exiled Jewish boy, Daniel... He says, King, you can take your job, and you can keep it. You can take your gold, and you can keep it. But I'll read the words on the wall. And, and, and really, any God-fearing person at this point could have figured out what, what he was about to say. And before Daniel reads the words to the king on the wall, he, he launches into just really a tirade against the king. And this is what he tells the king in verses 18. He says, Your majesty, the most high God, gave, gave sovereignty "'Majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. "'He made him so great that people of all races and nations and languages "'trembled before him in fear. "'He killed those that he wanted to kill, "'and he spared those that he wanted to spare. "'He honored those that he wanted to honor, "'and he disgraced those that he wanted to disgrace. "'But when his heart and his mind were puffed up with arrogance,' He was brought down from his royal throne and he was stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone that he desires to rule over them. So he's, he's given a, a little brief history lesson about Nebuchadnezzar. But then he turns to Belshazzar and he says this. He says, you are his successor. Oh, Belshazzar, you knew all of this. All of the things that I've just said. This wasn't a surprise to you. you. You were there for much of this. He says, you knew all of this, and yet you have not humbled yourself. You have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from His temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear, nor know anything at all. And he says, but you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent this message, That sent this hand to write this message. And it's the handwriting on the wall. And so Daniel reads the words that were mysteriously written by the hand, meaning, many, teckle, parson, roughly translated to say that God says that, that your time is up, that, that your arrogance has, of your kingdom has, has gotten the attention of God, and that time is up. God has weighed you in the scales of justice, and he has found you to be deficient. And now your kingdom is going to come to an end. So Daniel, again, becomes a prophet of God, speaking truth to the powerful now, Belshazzar, to his credit, he keeps his part of the bargain. He, he hears the message from Daniel. He says, I promised you a new wardrobe, new, a gold chain, a, a cushy job. Here's all of that stuff. You, you, you get all of that. And God keeps his part of the bargain, too, because that very night, Belshazzar is killed. You don't have to wait long for divine judgment in this part of the Bible, do you? Good, good Daniel gets a gold chain and a nice new wardrobe, while bad Belshazzar gets a shroud and a, and a coffin. He's the victim of the handwriting on the wall. Now, there are, you should know this. There are a lot of scholars that don't believe this is an actual historical account. They, they believe this historical fiction. I'm going to tell you that I do believe this is a historical account, that this really did happen. But, but I understand why people would, would say that this is a fictional story. Because really, this would be an easy story to believe that is something that's made up, that's something of legend. You know, because we're, we're modern, we're sophisticated, we're educated people. There's no way we could could believe this bit about a a grisly handwriting on a wall, right? In our sophistication, we we doubt the possibility of swift retribution or sure reward. Because we say that doesn't happen in real life, does it? That's not the world that we live in. This is the way that Rabbi Kushner explains it. He says there's a kind of randomness to life. He says a lot of times good people receive bad things and sometimes bad people receive good things. We would all agree with that. But then he says this, he says, life is like a big roulette wheel. Sometimes good numbers come up, and sometimes bad numbers come up. We call it luck, or we call it chance. You know, we make a big deal out of that observation, too, that that righteous rebels like Daniel more often get the noose than they get a gold chain. That that scumbags like Belshazzar typically get away with, well, being scumbags. And, And occasionally, we whine to God about that. But it's interesting to me how comfortable we have become with, with that realization that, this, that that's how the world is and that that's how it's always going to be. We, we've gotten comfortable with that idea that, that good people are always going to finish last, that the bad are always going to prosper. We, we turn our noses up at, at a primitive story like this where a great and mighty king who, who is brought down in one night by, by writing on the wall. And this lowly little Daniel, who's a nobody, is, is lifted up. We say, we don't care if it's a Bible story. That's just not the way the world works. I wasn't born yesterday, right? It's not the world that, that I live in. But sometimes life does work that way. Sometimes there really does seem to be a kind of justice built into the way life works, a kind of a moral law to which we have to answer. And I'll be honest, if I, think, I think if Rabbi Kushner had wrote about that, he'd have sold fewer books. Because those things don't sell books. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Yesterday, I was at a football game, a football game about 40 miles north of here, and, and it didn't end well for my team. So you can, if you paid attention to college sports scores, you know what game I'm talking about. But the University of Virginia, they had a little wide receiver, and he was probably about my size. He was, he was pretty muscular, but, but probably about my height, and he was pretty quick. And he would go out on a route, and he'd, catch a, he'd, he'd dive for a ball, and he'd make a great catch. And every time he got up, he had to like spin the football, and, and he would jump up in, in a, a Louisville defender's face. And he'd just kind of run his mouth. And I, I told my dad in the first half, I said, I hope somebody pops him. <laughs> I said, I really, because it, it was getting under my skin watching him do this. So it's on the third quarter. Louisville's got a pretty good-sized lead at this point, and everybody's feeling pretty good, and the defense is playing with a little more resolve and a little more uh, intensity. And this little number four, he runs a little route across the middle of the field, and the throw is behind him, so he reaches behind him like this to catch the ball. And as he turns, one of our linebackers comes across the middle and just lights him up. And it was one of those hits where everybody in the stadium went, ooh, and everybody stood up and cheered because I think all 30,000 people had had the same thought that I would had. I hope somebody lights this guy up. And he, he got lit up. And I thought, you know, he got what he deserved. He'd been running his mouth the whole game, and he got what he deserved. Now, ultimately, if you know how the game ended yesterday, uh, Louisville kind of got what they deserved too because Virginia won in the last seconds of the game. But, but there's, I, I think we, we've gotten so accustomed to this idea that, that the good never win, right? That the good never prosper, that the bad guy always wins. That, that we, we just determine that that's the way the world's going to be. But I think Scripture teaches us that, that there is kind of a moral law to which we're going to have to answer. And, and the reason I think we kind of neglect that is because it scares us. It causes our own knees to knock. One one doctor estimated that about 80% of people who, who come to him, come to him not because some strange bacteria has invaded their body and overtaken, but because of lifestyle choices. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and argue some kind of moral cause and effect in, in life. If you do this, you automatically get this. Or if you do, don't do this, then, then this will happen. I, I'm not going to argue that. But according to this doctor, there does seem to be kind of a, a, a wage paid for our sin, for our lifestyle choices. There's something in us that, that denies the reality, that flees for, from that story. And I'll tell you, I find it kind of interesting that I've never visited anybody in the hospital with, with emphysema or lung cancer. A terrible, terrible disease. Two terrible diseases. I've never visited anybody in the hospital who said that they had this because they smoked two packs a day. They always say that they've got a different kind of lung cancer that, that's not caused by that. It's always a different, you're right? And, and I would probably say the same thing too. I, I wouldn't want to admit to that. But, but I'm telling you, there, there's something that, that I think happens that we're, we're not all of our earthly there's not always an earthly wage to be paid for our sin, but, but I'm saying I'm, it's curious to me how often we do reap the consequences of that. There's, there's something about us modern people that clings to this notion of life, that, that life is just a great cosmic roulette wheel, that there's just a kind of randomness to life with, with no moral cause and effect of any kind, that there are no dues to be paid, not, not even a modicum of justice built into the way, into the, way the world works. And, and we believe that because that's what we experience more often than not. But this ancient story of Daniel, interpreting Belshazzar's dream, it invites us to consider that sometimes, sometimes, not always, but sometimes there is for each of us a handwriting on the wall in which we have to reap what we sow. That's what Paul said in Galatians, right? You reap what you sow. And in that prophetic, truthful moment, when, when we realize that there is a, a writing on the wall for us, that we're going to reap what we sow, we have to realize that, hey, our chickens have come home to roost, so to speak. That justice has been done. And here's the thing: here's one of the worst aspects of, of people getting what they deserve and, and justice being done is when it comes to me. When I get what I deserve. When I, when I deserve comes to fruition. When the handwriting on the wall is for me. And that's the part of justice that we don't like, right? That's the part of, of all this. It's, it's always good when it happens to somebody else. It's always good when it happens to the person who we think deserves those things to happen. But when it happens to us, when the, the wages of our sin comes due, then we don't like it so much. I had a professor in college tell me once, he said, you, you'll get some education here, here at college. But you'll never get wisdom until you come back for your 20th reunion. And I said, well, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean? And he said, well, you're going to learn more about life in that weekend, more about life in that weekend than we could ever teach you here in four years. And, and I didn't fully understand what he was talking about then, but, but as I've gotten older and maybe a little wiser, I, I think I have began to understand it a little bit more. And let me, let me explain it to you this way. This is what I think he was talking about. I had a friend uh, uh, who had a friend, a friend of mine's friend, who, who died this past summer. And as I was talking to my friend about his friend, he said, you know, I always envied him. We grew up together, we went to school together, our houses were near each other, um, but he was always the popular kid. He was the good-looking guy. He, he, all the girls loved him. He played basketball really well. He, he was just Everything in life he had going for him. He said, then we went to college, and all the girls loved him still, and he played basketball even better. But he was one of those guys, my friend said, that he was one of those guys that always felt like the rules didn't apply to him, that... that the justice never, it was always beneath him. It was for everybody else, but never for him. He didn't have to abide by the same standards, by the same rules as everybody else. And and my friend said, I just despised him for that. So my friend told me, he said, I went to his wedding, and, and he married a, a beautiful woman. They, they had two beautiful daughters. But the next thing you know is he's getting divorced because he stepped out on his wife. And his daughters, they refused to speak to him because because of the way that he acted during, during that time. And so he said, I lost touch with him, but I'd stayed in contact with, it, with, his, with his ex-wife and his, and his daughters. And then I learned this summer that, that he died. And he died in an old house watched over by his aging aunt, the last person in the world who would have anything to do with him after he had cheated and, sw- and, and lied to people and broken promises. After all of this life that he'd lived, where he had just ru- burned every bridge that he had, he died alone. Now, I suppose those of us who are not attractive and not that good at basketball, we should take a little heart, we should take heart in that story. But I don't. I don't take too much comfort from that story. In fact, I take as little comfort from that story as I take from Daniel and Belshazzar, because if it's true, as Daniel 5 claims to be, as I believe it to be, that God is not mocked, if that's true, then we are for then we are not forever unaccountable for our lives and the way that we live them. We are one day. Justice will come for us, right? One day we will have to answer for all of the things that we've done. I've got plenty of reason, like King Belshazzar, to to tremble. There is the possibility that the handwriting on the wall is for me. And so me and my affluence, my power, my my smug sense of self-security, I think I probably more resemble Belshazzar than I do little Daniel. And so here's the question I want to ask you this morning and I want you to think about. What would the handwriting on the wall be? say to me? That's the question we all got to ask ourselves. What would the handwriting on the wall say to me? What would, if God was going to take a detached hand and, and float it in the air and write something, write a message for us on a wall, what would the handwriting on the wall say to us? See, this old story, it bears a message that is simple and trite and conventional and proverbial and true. And it's real, it, to me, it really is surprising that we love the message of, of Rabbi Kushner and his interpretation of the book of Job, that life is just a big roulette wheel, that that sometimes your number comes up and sometimes it doesn't, that the world is a mess. That's that's morally confusing, isn't it? Because sometimes evil gets out ahead and the good gets shafted. And it really just amazes me that we seem to like that story. We like that message more than we love the message of a little Daniel to the rich, powerful Belshazzar that God is is not forever mocked. That's the message of this this story, that God will not be mocked, that he's not mocked. And yet we like this message more, that life is just one of chance, more than we like that. Early in my ministry, I was a youth minister at a small little country church in Anderson County. And me and the the preacher went to a funeral out out in the country. It was an even smaller little country church that was a, a denominational church. And we got there and the casket was open and and it was a typical funeral, one that I've, a funeral like I've been to many times, like you've probably been to many times. And then the preacher got up, and, and he didn't really give a lot of words about the deceased. He gave a sermon. And, and, and I've been to funerals where preachers give sermons, and that's okay. But this preacher, he pounded on the pulpit, and he looked over the casket, and he said this. He said, it's too late for Joe. He might have wanted to get his life together. He might have wanted to spend more time with his family. He might have wanted to do all of that. But he's dead now. It's too late for him. But it's not too late for you. There's still time for you. You can decide. You're still alive. It's not too late for you. Today is the day of decision. And then he had an altar call, which I had never experienced at a, at a funeral. And after that, he told the preacher told of how a greyhound bus had run into a funeral procession, killing a bunch of people on the way to a cemetery one time. And he said, and that could happen today. said you should decide today to get your life together it's too late for old joe but it's not too late for you and i left that funeral and got in the car and i told uh, my preacher i said man i can't believe that guy can't believe he said that i was i was angry with him i i I said have you ever seen anything so manipulative and, and insensitive to that poor family he said I never heard anything like it. It was manipulative, and it was disgusting, and it was insensitive. And worst of all, it was true. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't think I would say anything like that at a funeral. I won't say say anything like that at your funeral. But we're not at a funeral today. Today, we're at a worship service. And maybe today is the day that you need to come to the realization that God will not be mocked forever. That He alone is sovereign. And thankfully, because of the grace of God and the cross of Jesus, we won't get what we deserve. What we deserve is eternal death. Paul's pretty clear about that. The wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. But because, thank God, because of the grace of Jesus and the cross of Jesus, what we will get if we love Him, if we follow Him, is eternity in heaven eternal life now that's a trade worth making let me pray for us this morning Father god we love you and we are grateful for your your grace and your justice father if there's anything that we should be grateful for it's that and that we don't get what we deserve because we're followers of your son Father, help us to, when, when, when things just seem out of whack in life, when things don't seem like they're going the, the, the way they should, when, when we look around us and it seems like evil is prospering, remind us of stories like this from Daniel, where, where you make it clear that you will not be mocked. That you alone are sovereign. That you are God, most high and most holy. God, remind us of that when, when we feel... The, the urge to just compare ourselves to everybody else around us that, that we even, if we feel like we're maybe not as bad as some other people, we still have a sin debt that has to be paid and because of Your Son, Jesus, our sin debt has been paid in full. May we be overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. that while everybody may not get what they deserve in this life, one day your justice will come. And those who have done evil to to your name and to the church and to your people will get what they deserve. And those that have followed you and have loved you and have been obedient to your word will get something far greater than we could ever deserve. Life with you. Father, if there's anybody here this morning who, who's never made the decision to follow you, to give their lives over to you, Father, we, I just pray that they would make that decision today. That they would realize that it's not too late. It's not their funeral. It's not too late. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray.